Um, all right, what's the name of the podcast that we're going to record? The Record Internet Broadcast. Yeah, and I'm Tim. And I'm Jared. Here it goes. So today, we're going to be discussing the causes of death in America. We're going to be discussing from age 1 to age 100 what kills the most people. And we found a data set released by the Centers for Disease Control, which tells us the top 10 causes of death among these age groups. And we're going to describe them. And then we're going to discuss what we think of them and what surprises us and maybe uh, opportunities for improvement. That sounds great. Great. This topic comes from a past conversation that we've had, which everyone has probably thought about in the past year, which is how the pathogen known as SARS-CoV-2, which causes the disease known as COVID-19, is killing a lot of people. Um, A lot more people are dying from respiratory illnesses than have in the past. And so we're also going to include that in our discussion. The specifics of that past conversation were that we were on a video call with a friend who was traveling and she was with a group of people and one of those people tested positive for COVID-19. And then this friend and their partner thought that they might have also been infected. And so during this conversation we had, they were discussing that a bit. And then afterwards, you and I had a conversation where you were wondering whether we should try to do anything to help them, basically. Like considering how severe the disease can be, if, if we should try to assist yeah. them in any way based on any research we could do or something like that. I think specifically something that brought that up for me is that you are a fairly informed biologist, which seems Thank related. You. If you were in a different field of work, I might not have thought that as relevant, but it felt like we could actually provide information that could be relevant to them. It's possible. Yeah, certainly the information that you suggested that we provide was different than what I was expecting. <laughs> right, and so at the time... That's when I first decided to look up what the causes of death of Americans are, according to the the Centers for Disease Control, or the CDC. And it turns out that in our age group, which the age group listed here is age 25 to 34, the most common cause of death is overdose by narcotics. And so I suggested to you that we tell our friend to be careful not to overdose on the way home. (laughs) (laughs) Which I did not end up telling her. Right. Yeah. It's good advice. Good advice generally, really. It's certainly good advice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although if you, have, if you have to give someone that advice, there are probably others, also other advice you should give along with it. Yeah. If it's truly useful advice to them. You could <laughs> it's also pretty give, limited, too. Give some more support to them. <laughs> yeah. And so after that conversation, we kept looking at this chart provided by the CDC of all of the causes of death. And we went through them all, really, from age 1 to age 85. And we both learned about what they are and, and sort of things that didn't surprise us and things that did surprise us about them. If anyone wants to follow along on the chart while listening to this, we're looking at a data set on cdc.gov. The acronym giving for this data set is pronounced WISQUARS, and it's spelled W-I-S-Q-A-R-S, which means something. But if you, if you search that, you'll find it. It's something like, um, maybe I'll just check. It stands for the the Web-Based Injury Statistics Query and Reporting System is an interactive online database that provides fatal and non-fatal injury, violent death, and cost of injury data. Personally, I think that for a, a government website, this is a very high-quality website. The interactivity and the visualizations are really nice. You can dig into things. So I, I commend the CDC WizQuars teams <laughs> for their effort. It's very similar to the word wizard. I think that was probably intentional. Yeah, that's yeah. good. So since we began by describing how the most common cause of death in our age group, people aged 25 to 34, is overdose on narcotics, 
Maybe we can start by just going through that age group first. We'll describe the deaths there. It'll also give a, a sense for what sort of categories of death are tracked by this CDC website. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, so this, this table gives the top 10 causes of death per age group. So for age 25 to 34, the top cause of death, this is in, in year 2019, is called unintentional injury which I think overdose and some of the other ones also are intentional to a large extent, but they're calling it unintentional. Yeah, the unintentional injury category breaks out into a variety of things. There's two separate categories for narcotics, and yeah, it's difficult to tell. What I mean, I don't know how they determine whether or not it's a suicide if someone takes too many pills. Sure. It does get into a region of like, did they write a note? Right. It's it's probably case by case. Yeah. One thing I know from, from previous work that I've done is all of these codes... They're called ICD-10 codes, which I don't know what stands for. But any death I know in a hospital has to be categorized among one of these codes. So I'm sure there's deaths that don't fit into one or fit into multiple of them, but they always have to pick one. And so I imagine that if someone overdoses, you don't know if they... And then it's sort of like with addiction, it's like, do they want to? Do they not want to? Yeah. So I would say that goes with all of these causes, which is that they are categories that have to be made and they're pretty good, but some of them have some intricacies. Like the, the first thing of under unintentional injury is called poisoning. That's what the narcotics overdose is in. And when I think of poisoning, I think of like drinking bleach accidentally or something like that. Or like a, a murder mystery. Right. Yeah. Like a homicide. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that's one thing to keep in mind when looking at these data is that they're categorized in certain ways that require some deeper looking to find out what they actually are. And it's worth noting, I think, at this point, too, that there's these categories that go down 1 to 10, highest to lowest. And at least in this particular age range, one thing that happens is at the bottom is all others, and it accounts for about 17% of the deaths. Yeah. To your point about categorization, they obviously at some point just give up. Right. And depending on those categories, there could be some in there that if you can bind them, you could call them a category. Right. Like we're calling overdoses and poisoning, both poisoning. And also they're all under the category of unintentional injury. Right. And so it could be that these 17% other, maybe there's something in there that we might think is the same category and that would push that up further. Yeah. It's almost the biggest category if you were to make right. it its own. Yep. So... As we're saying, the highest category is called unintentional injury, and the categories within the unintentional injury, this is for age 25 to 34, the top one is poisoning, with about two-thirds of the deaths, and then the next one is motor vehicle, with about 25% of the deaths, about a quarter, and then between like half a percent and two percent are things like drowning, falling, suffocation, fire, burning, pedestrian, environmental. Wow. (laughs) That would happen to you and us. You and me. <laughs> it happened to you and me, that sort of thing. Like rockfall, avalanche. Yeah, you're walking down the street and the environment just kills you. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's almost entirely poisoning and motor vehicle accidents. The rest are just like what you think of as accidents. I, w- I would say like the top two are more, they have more intention to them on someone's part than the other sort of accidents do. There is the thing with quite a few drownings are related to someone falling in and then being hit by a boat. It's not that you drowned, it's that a motor yeah, vehicle right. hits you in the they head. They could be still transport accidents yeah. of some kind. Yeah. This website also lets you go even further into these categories. And so if you choose poisoning, then the top one is called poisoning by exposure to narcotics or psychedelics. First of all, I think this is ridiculous because I bet that like 99.9% of these are exposure to narcotics and not psychedelics. It actually doesn't say psychedelics, so you may want to reread it. Psycho... Dysleptics. Psycho-dysleptics. Wow. Did you look that up? 
I didn't. No. Look it up. No. It's still psychedelics. Really? Yeah, it's a hallucinogen. So my my point stands. Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Like all those hard drugs are classified as the same thing in the U.S. And I don't think people are dying from taking acid. I think they're all dying from taking opiates. Yeah, and it brings up some things around like if you were to take acid and then you were to crash your car, is that considered a motor vehicle accident? Or are you now like, oh, you were on drugs. You died of drugs. Right. It's up to the doctor to pick the primary ICD code, as these are called. He would probably pick the car accident. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. So among the poisoning category, the next one is poisoning by exposure to other unspecified drugs or medications. Which is another 40%. So like most of the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah. I would bet that this is more like they didn't know or couldn't tell, but it's possible that these are also narcotics because I don't know what else it would be. Other and unspecified drugs, medics. Yeah. I don't know. So anyways, the next one is, um, I don't don't know the terms here, accidental poisoning by exposure to ant-epi-sed-hype and more, like sedatives, epinephrine, like I'm just guessing. Sure. I don't really have much to say about that. Still some form of overdosing. Probably by prescription drugs, mm. it sounds like. Okay. And then at 2% of the poisoning deaths, which are a subset of the unintentional injury deaths, is poisoning by exposure to alcohol. Uh, and then the rest are poisoning by gas, chemicals, non-opioid analgesics. So that would be aspirin and Tylenol. And the rest are, yeah, gases and pesticides and stuff. So that's an example of the way that poisoning is broken down, um, which is the, the highest cause of death in our age group. And like we said, the second highest cause of death with about a quarter of the deaths in our age group is motor vehicle and traffic deaths. Underneath unintentional injury. Underneath unintentional injury. Yeah. That's right. And the motor vehicle and traffic deaths aren't broken down that meaningfully to me. It's like motor or non-motor vehicle accident, traffic accident, pedestrian injured by unspecified transport, car occupant as opposed to driver injured. Those don't really matter that much. Yeah. So. There's definitely some flaws to this data, but it does seem to still be the best source that we have. And at this point, we're getting like more into it than we need to. I guess we're just trying to show the the depth of it. Yeah, you could mine this for a lot of different information. Sure. And to elaborate on that even more, there are options for looking at these things by gender, also looking at them by, by race. There's a whole host of options. So there's a lot of things that we could find here, but we're going to try to stay at a pretty high level look at the whole thing. All right, now we can zoom out to the highest level possible, which is the causes of death across all of the age groups. And for that, again, we can start in our age group. So we discussed the, the top one so far, which is called unintentional injury. And the second highest one for our age group is called suicide. And it's the highest number of deaths in any age group for suicide. Um, it, it peaks around age 30 or so. Yeah, which is quite sad. I agree that's quite sad. Yeah. The third one, which is also the highest of this type for any age group, is homicide. And then below that, pretty close to each other, are cancer and heart disease, which we will see become very powerful later on. (laughs) That is a way to put it, yeah. (laughs) And then after that is liver disease, diabetes, stroke, complicated pregnancy. It's actually the only time that appears in the chart at all. And then also HIV, which is the only time that appears in the chart at all. I was quite surprised by that one. Yeah. That would be a lot different 30 years ago, but at the moment, that's the only place it appears. Do you want to go into some of the trends for causes of death in early childhood? Uh, Yeah. So one thing that's pretty interesting about sort of the way in which the deaths, the way the CDC has categorized it, there's the first category is less than one. 
that category has has a lot of death associated with it. And so I'll just read the, the top five or so, um, which are congenital anomalies, short gestation, unintentional injury, again, SIDS. I don't actually know what that is. What is SIDS? I think you would like the name of this. Yeah? If you knew the name. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me? Yeah. Okay. SIDS stands for Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Okay. Wow. It's fitting, given the amount of deaths it causes, but it's not fitting, given that it gives no information about it. Right. And the reason for that is because people don't know. Um, and then the final, the, the fifth one is maternal pregnancy complications. It seems like short gestation is premature births. I think that's what that means. And then maternal pregnancy complications. It's not the mother dying, so it's something with the child dying right after, right? I don't know. Well, it's not the mother dying. This is the age of the person is less than one. I agree with you, yeah. And then the very next one is called placenta cord and membranes. It seems to me those could all be together. Placenta cord, membranes, maternal pregnancy complications, and short gestation. If you put all those together, they'd be the highest one, which I would name like birth complications or something. Sure. And it's an interesting thing to point out as well. It gives an example of how like more extreme categorization can dilute the data set. And so the next category is one to four, and the number one cause of injury there is unintentional injury. But the number of deaths associated with that for a span of four years is only about 1,100. And so it's less than any of those other five causes. And so we can see that early life is a hard time for babies. I think there's an, an aspect to that that maybe makes sense almost. Like once they've stabilized at, at the beginning, it's a little bit easier to, to keep them alive. Whereas if they come out and immediately have a complication, it's difficult to identify what it is. Babies tend to, as I understand it, they compensate really well. And so if something starts to happen, they very suddenly have problems. And so that's kind of interesting that it's much more deadly to be less than one than it is to be one to four. And that trend progresses pretty consistently until it sort of hits its its lowest point um, between like f- about five to 14 is all about the same. And then it starts to go back up again. Yeah, and one thing that's worth noting too is you can change the data set and you can look at it by the crude rate of deaths. And so then it's the number of deaths by that cause per 100,000 people in that age range. And when you do this, you might look at you know, 4,300 less than one-year-olds in the United States died of congenital anomalies. That doesn't sound good. I would prefer that that be a smaller number. However, when you break it out into that number per 100,000 people, you see that it's quite small. It ends up at about 113 per 100,000. Okay, 0.01%. 0.01%, yeah. Not so much, though. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, to some degree, it's like, well, how much can we really do about that? I'm sure I don't think these are issues that doctors aren't already trying to take care of. Of course. I think this just shows that that's a risky time. And I think it was even more risky before. And I think we've definitely reduced those risks a lot. But uh, it is difficult to get below a certain rate, even though it's high for that age. I'm sort of inclined to say like, wow, okay, I think we're doing a great job. We're certainly doing better than we did before. Right. Which is one way to measure great job (laughs) yeah improvement yeah yeah all right so being less than one year old is is tough most likely to die in the first 15 years of your life or so is before you're one yeah so you make it to one you should should celebrate your first your first birthday (laughs) really go all out have a have a killer party yeah you're probably gonna live now so yeah great you did it 
One thing I found interesting looking at, at the early part of the chart is that cancer appears for the first time at age one to four. On the chart, it's called malignant neoplasms. Malignant means it can expand into tissues that aren't its own, and neoplasm means a new tissue, like a new formation. That's cancer, but they call it malignant neoplasms. Uh, from age one to four, that's 11% of the deaths. And then from age five to nine, it reaches its, its, its local maximum at 21% of the deaths. And then from age 10 to 14, it decreases again to 16% of the deaths. It reaches its local minimum at age 15 to 24 at 5%. And then it makes a slight increase from 25 to 34 at 7%. Then it makes a massive jump from age 35 to 34 at 16%. And then it tops the chart for the first time at both age groups 45 to 54 and age group 55 to 64 at 28% and 37% respectively. And then decreases slightly above age 65. So cancer makes this sort of like U-shape, like it starts out at age five as one of the leading causes of, of five to nine-year-olds. Then it decreases quite a bit in people our age, but then it becomes the top killer for most of the rest of the ages until heart disease comes. Yeah. And heart disease also has a trend that's somewhat similar. I recall being surprised by this because it shows up at first in the category of one to four, and it's the number five killer. It's interesting. These are probably different types of heart disease than we, than we normally think about. Mm, okay. They're probably more like heart defects than fatty, fatty heart. <laughs> fatty heart. <laughs> yeah, they should have broken that out into two different categories. But yeah, it starts out in ages one to four, and then it continues to be in the top ten. Certainly, if you do it by percentage, it's still quite low, but it doesn't really go down. It pops down very briefly at ages 10 to 14, and then it stays in the top five until you get to 85, where it finally takes the first place spot um, with 250,000 deaths per year. 65 plus, it also is the highest. Yeah, yeah. And for it's all, also the overall highest. Right, yeah, for all ages, yeah. heart, heart disease, disease is the number one. Is the king. Which is, like, pretty amazing. And, you know, cancer comes in at two. Slightly below it. The heart is a pretty important organ, so it's not surprising that it appears in all of the age groups. You need that. Certainly. I guess I was also thinking that heart disease was more limited. To fatty, fatty heart? Uh, yeah, I thought I thought it was related primarily to hypertension or, or something related to that. Right. And not necessarily a different type of defect. Yeah, we don't know. We don't have that data in front of us. Right, it doesn't break out. And this might be one that would be interesting to look at between men and women. Right. Or even between different racial groups. I think I find it particularly interesting, too, because you and I have talked a lot in the past about diet and exercise and choices related to that. And I am often inclined to think that issues related to the heart, it's like there are ways to manage that with diet and exercise or with blood pressure medications, um, which is often the choice that that people make. And I have a somewhat negative view of that. But then seeing heart disease across this huge range of ages, it starts to feel like, well, I don't know. I mean, partly I don't know what that means. And then also I don't know exactly what the best way to try to handle it in those different age ranges is. So when I first look at this and I see that heart disease is the number one killer, a big part of me says, oh, we got to try to improve our diet as a culture and try to encourage exercise. But then it's difficult to tell whether or not that's actually a problem because most of the deaths from heart disease are happening once people are over 85. So then it seems a little bit fuzzier. And I like that the chart allows me to expand my thinking about that. Do you think that heart disease is used as a, as a catch-all above 85, for example? For what other kinds of things? Like if something else in your body fails and causes your heart to fail. Like, for example, if your kidneys fail, you become hyper salty. 
There's a real term for that, which then makes your nerves not be able to transmit their signals and then your brain can't sit in your heart anymore and then your heart stops. Because like heart attack is not on the list, but that's inclu- probably included in heart disease. Yeah. Obviously, if you die, your heart stops. That's why I'm thinking maybe that's more to that. But did you just say that the brain stops being able to tell the heart? If you have the wrong balance of sodium, it can. I thought the heart sent itself a signal to pump again. I didn't think the brain did anything. Like, I thought you could be brain dead. Well, but your heart will sure, yeah. yeah, it's possible. But signals are still transmitted by nerves. And nerves require an action potential to fire, which is based on calcium and sodium. Mm, okay. So if your body can't regulate the levels of calcium and sodium, it can't transmit any nerve signals to anything. That makes sense. So that's what I'm wondering, if the heart disease thing is sort of a, a byproduct. It's certainly not always, but I'm wondering how much of it is. Because your heart has to stop if you die. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've heard I, at one point, did an EMT course. And there was one, I mean, maybe multiple people thought this, but there was at least one EMT that said everyone dies of shock. Yeah, it stops being able to compensate sufficiently. And then you die. But I'm inclined, based on what you just said, to think that it is actually its own thing because diabetes is down further. And so I would feel like that would relate to the, that relate to the kidneys. Yeah, okay. And then there's nephritis, which is related to... The kidneys. There's also the kidneys. I believe so. Wow. So then I, I don't think it's that. Diabetes is more the pancreas, sorry. Oh, than the kidneys. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Okay, so yeah. Nephritis I mean, is definitely the kidneys. Yeah. So there's already categories for those things. So then I, I, I feel like it's probably the problem originates in the heart. I don't think that means it has to be just one problem. All right. We talked about the data set, so let's move on. Okay. All right, so now that we've been talking about these causes of death, a, a sort of new one that people are talking about this year is coronavirus. And I'm looking at some numbers here for that. And I'm looking at, at a table also provided by the CDC, updated weekly the number of deaths from coronavirus or COVID since the beginning of the pandemic until now. This particular number is from January 1st, 2020 until February 13th, 2021. Do you know how many people have died during that time period? About a year and a month or so? I would guess it's around 3 million. Yeah. The number listed on this table is 3.6 million. 3.6. Yeah. And do you know how many of those deaths are labeled as involving COVID? Involving? Uh, From what I've heard on the news, we're close to 400,000 deaths related to COVID. Yeah. What's listed here is 460,000 deaths. Okay. This also lists all those deaths by age groups, similar to the age groups that we were just looking at. Okay. So in total, there's 460,000 deaths involving COVID. I think that means that this person had a positive COVID test when they died. Because it also lists on the same table whether or not they had pneumonia and some other stuff. So yeah, it's reported that, that so far during this pandemic, 460,000 people have died. And the age groups for those deaths are broken down by the same age groups we were just talking about. And so in the first year, it's 45 deaths. 1 to 4 is 23 deaths. 5 to 14 is 72 deaths. 15 to 24 is 600 deaths. And then I'm just going to go by 10 years at a time now. 2,900, 7,700, 21,000. And now we're at age 55 to 64, 54,000. 65 to 74, 99,000. 75 to 84, 128,000. And 85 plus 146,000. So this is certainly... The, these these numbers, if you look at the previous table we were looking at, would put COVID as a high cause of death, basically from age 55 onward. It would increase to somewhere between second place and fifth place in each of those categories. I think maybe even sooner. I think you said 21,000 for, our, was that our age group? 
45 to 55. Oh, oh. oh okay. Did, it, did I not include that age group in? No, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. It starts to be in the, in the top five places. Yeah, so it would be in the top five places, uh, 35 to 44. Yeah, for us too, it would be fifth. It's pretty high. It's pretty high. But at the time that we were having our right. yeah, discussion, yeah, yeah. it was much lower. Yeah, we sort of speculated before. Yeah. So starting with our age group at age 35, COVID is now in the top five causes of death. So for example, in our age group, it's above heart disease and cancer. So this is a new thing to watch out for, absolutely. It's only slightly less dangerous than overdosing. Yeah. And one could maybe make the assumption that it could be more dangerous because I feel like I have a little bit more choice about overdosing than about COVID. Ideally, yeah. <laughs> Ideally, yes. <laughs> not, not for sure. Yeah. All right. So... Now that we've gone through the sort of underlying causes of death and described where COVID fits in this year, it's been sort of a topic of debate in the U.S. how much we should try to prevent the spread of COVID. Because preventing the spread of COVID involves some restrictions on freedoms and interruptions of normal life, people are opposed to it, for sure. And so one thing to think about is, if we're willing to disrupt our lives to stop COVID, what else can we do to change our lives to stop these other diseases? And given that everyone dies, are there desirable causes of death that everyone should have in every age group? I would say the desirable number of people from age 1 to 80 that die is, is close to zero. I agree. Yeah. Unrealistic, but desirable. Yeah. And then people above 80, like what's the most desirable cause of death? Yeah. If it isn't heart disease and cancer and now COVID. Yeah. It's a little odd, too. I mean, you get into the range where people have Alzheimer's or even just general dementia. And I think a related question is at what age, you know, once they're over 80, at what age is it good to die? When do you get to the point where you say, okay, well, maybe medical science is advanced enough that I could continue, but I'm going to die at some point. Right. And, and it's interesting, too, with what you bring out about sacrificing your freedoms you almost sort of sacrifice freedoms in order to try to stay alive. Yeah, like if you're in the hospital or you have to go to the doctor every week or take medicines that have side effects, those are all sacrifices Yeah, to stay alive. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like a difficult question. I don't know a lot about the levels of pain associated with those different things. I think that might be part of how I'd make my decision. I don't necessarily have a problem with the, or the, the chart as it stands for that age group. It would be interesting to understand a little bit more about ways to prevent cancer. Are there ways to prevent heart disease? Are there ways to prevent Alzheimer's? Can we make it so that people get to be that old fit skier guy you invariably see at a mountain where he's like on the lift and he just zooms down the trail. He's like, yeah, I'm 90, just out here skiing. The next two after cancer and heart disease are chronic lower respiratory disease and stroke. Hmm. So if you get rid of the first two, now you're bringing up those two. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of the game right? that I'm suggesting. Right. I think I'm just having a hard time <laughs> assigning people to death. But I think one thing that is, I think, common between all four of... Not all four of those, sorry. Heart disease, stroke, and what was the other one you just mentioned? Emphysema, basically. Okay, yeah. So things related to the respiratory system is that I, I have going back to what I was saying earlier, this like I had this set of assumptions that tells me that if older people were just in better shape, being better taken care of related to their physical fitness, then maybe you could avoid a lot of those things. By avoid, you mean move them down the list. Or move the age at which it starts to affect them back. 
But yes, I guess it does just move them down the list. I'm just looking further down the list and seeing what else there was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did I just assign people to in terms of death? Uh, diabetes, pneumonia, and Parkinson's. Parkinson's is in the top ten. Wow. Oh, I don't want that. And that one's, we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to fix that one. Yeah, and I've heard it's quite rough. Pneumonia and diabetes, though, we know something about how to prevent them. Yeah, I think I'm actually okay with the pneumonia being a way that people above 80 die. It seems like, okay, yeah, we're, we're encountering diseases in our lives. If you encounter a disease and you just, like, absolutely can't fight it off, then okay. So given that the list so far, they're all pretty undesirable. Some of them we could probably reduce, but do you have in your mind a, an ideal, either just one or a list of ones? If you could paint this chart, is there a way you would paint it? <laughs> that feels like so much responsibility. Because there has to, I mean, given the current life expectancy, yeah, which we could increase by 10 years, but still it's only 10 years. And so about 3 million people have to die a year in America. What deaths are you going to sentence them to? <laughs> <laughs> okay. This feels silly to say, but I would prefer that there be more unintentional injury deaths over the age of 80. Are you talking about narcotics overdoses? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's that's what I want, for sure. Uh, no, I think ideally, well, I don't want motor accidents either. Man, that doesn't pan out well at all. Rockfall. Rockfall, yeah. I want them to be hiking. Yeah. And then I want I, mean, I think that's pretty... That's To randomly die. If so many 80-plus-year-olds, octogenarians, as they say, yeah. die while hiking, that's probably better than the current ones. It could be. It'd be tough on on the fishing game. Right, right. <laughs> Department of Fishing Game. It does seem to really move over the, <laughs> the consequences of death to uh, just a, a league of people that are not prepared for that. So maybe we shouldn't do it suddenly. But yeah, I mean, ideally in my mind, certainly that's the way to I think go. That's fair. Yeah, there's something in there too where I think if you if you can't go do the activities that you want to be able to do, then maybe that makes it more okay to have some of these things happen. Um, I certainly, you know, my my grandfather died and he was in his 60s. And certainly, you know, there's people that live past that, but he didn't even really know who he was. I mean, he didn't remember my grandmother or he, he vaguely remembered he had dementia. My, my grandmother. Yeah, he had dementia. I think I would try to paint a picture where I don't know if I would directly try to affect these specific causes so much as try to move them into an area of life where people are generally less capable. And so we kind of already talked about this, right? Like yeah. the deaths between 1 and 80 are pretty undesirable. Right. And then I, I don't think the deaths beyond 80 are desirable, but given that they are going to happen, I'm okay with them happening in the way that they're currently laid out. I see. I think I would be inclined to try to, I mean, basically just increase life expectancy. And, and then once you've accomplished that, then start to look at, what can we do to try to extend or improve the quality of lives of, of life Absolutely. people past these ages? Particularly, I feel like there's a lot of effort that could be put into the sort of 55 to 75 range where I feel like some of the outcomes are vastly different. For sure. I don't know how much of that is preventable, but it would be nice to have some focus on that. So I've been thinking about the way I would paint the chart for a while now. Okay. Since we decided we were going to talk about this. Yeah. And... I think above above 80 or so, I would put pretty simple, real, real simple. Ideally, 100% of the deaths would be caused by euthanasia. 100%? Yeah. Wow. I wasn't expecting that. Okay, can you talk to me a little bit more about what that looks like? 
euthanasia is when it's similar to suicide. It's a, it's, it's a form of suicide, and in some cases a form of homicide, depending on how you do it. <laughs> Where you decide based on what is ahead of you that it would be better to end your own life comfortably than to approach what's ahead of you, which could be diseases like cancer or diabetes or Parkinson's or dementia. That's an interesting cultural shift that you're imagining where you're hoping that 100% of people will choose to die. 100 is not really possible because it's still going to be accidental deaths. Sure. I might have overstepped slightly. I think taking it to that extreme is good. The thing you're proposing is intriguing, and, and I like quite a few aspects of it, but also it just seems like a big change in thinking about death for, I would say, certainly my family. Um, yeah, definitely. For mine as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious as to what is your paintbrush made of such that you were able to paint such a picture? Or do you have a, a strategy in mind of how you would try to get to that? First would be to make it legal. That would help. I don't actually know in the U.S. what the laws all are. Do you? I don't offhand, no. I, I, I believe that there are some states that have the option to engage in euthanasia. But I believe the circumstances that give you the right to do it are pretty specific. As a person? As a person, yeah. I think it's almost as if you were in a, a state that didn't really support abortion but provided them. And so if you went to go in and say, like, I would like to be euthanized, they would say, like, are you sure? Here, read all these pamphlets. Make sure that you want to. You can't take it back, which is reasonable, right? It's not not a crazy way to respond to that. But that's my impression about that. I'm taking a break to do research. I'm trying to find the rates of euthanasia by country. All I can find is whether it's legal or not. All right. I looked up some facts about euthanasia in the U.S. One thing that I I learned while looking this up is there's a difference between euthanasia and assisted suicide. And what's listed here on the Wikipedia page titled Euthanasia in the United States is the key difference between euthanasia and assisted suicide is that in cases of assisted suicide, the individual receives assistance but ultimately voluntarily causes their own death which I assume is by, like, injecting themselves. doesn't say that, but that, that's my assumption. In euthanasia, the individual does not directly end their life, but another person acts to cause the individual's death. That seems like they agree to it, but then once they're there, someone else injects them, if that's the method of death. I think that second one would also include situations where the family decides for the patient. It could. I don't know if that's considered euthanasia or not. Fair. But if, if it is, then yes. The assisted suicide one, I think, can also be done with pills. I was just using injection as a way to differentiate these. Whereas assisted suicide, you inject yourself. Euthanasia, someone else injects you. But it could be you pressing a button or you taking a pill or something. Okay, so what did you find about assisted suicide? Right, so in the United States, assisted suicide is legal in the states of California, Colorado, Oregon, Vermont, Maine, New Jersey, Hawaii, and Washington. Which is only eight states out of the 50. I thought it was going to be way lower. That is surprising to me. I was also looking at the legality in other countries in the world, and this is from Encyclopedia Britannica. And it is legal in Belgium, Canada, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Switzerland, and every other country that's here is is not legal, which is most of Europe, basically. Or anywhere else in the world. 
It doesn't have all the countries. Oh, okay. Wow. This article only has the European countries, basically. Hmm. Um, a few of them differentiate between euthanasia and assisted suicide. For example, this lists Germany as not allowing euthanasia, but allowing assisted suicide. That's the one where the person has to act themselves to kill themselves via pills or injection or something. They can't have someone else do it for them, even if they agree to it. So yeah, not many allow euthanasia for or so. I'm even more surprised in that context that eight states do. That's what it says. That's kind of yeah. amazing. What do you see as the benefits to assisted suicide or euthanasia as a method of death or, or a cause of death versus other things? Well, for one thing, I think that it would remove the fear of death, which I think like forces people into really terrible medical situations because they're afraid to die. And this one's a bit weirder, but... A person would have to be in, in the mindset, or I guess ideally in the mindset, where they're thinking something like, this has been great and I've, I've seen it all, and I have some illness or something, I don't perceive it as, as being any better than what I've seen. So, like, I've had enough of that for now. Yeah. It's not like an anti, anti-medicine mindset. Like, I don't think that as soon as you get some diagnosis, the doctor should be like, but also... Have you considered euthanasia? <laughs> That's not what I'm suggesting. Yeah. To your point about you think it removes the fear of death, I think that would have to go the other way around. I think there would have to be more discussion about death amongst people. Definitely. As just, you know, this is something that's going to happen. And then I, I do like the decision-making aspect. Okay, you can either let your body or some combination of your past decisions and your environment kill you, or you can make a choice related to dying. Even just adding that as, as an acceptable thing. I think would be a great first step in, in removing that fear. Yeah. I've thought about this for a while. When I started studying cancer biology and cancer research, I sort of thought what, what you thought about when we noticed that if you drive one cause of death down, then there's something new there, which you can do also for like most of them. You, you can drive them down in your own life if you want to. And so back in like 2011 or 12, I sort of came to the realization that if you have the resources you get to choose how you die, ideally, and like for the most part, that's true. Depending on what you do, like if you choose not to smoke or drink or go out in the sun, you're a lot less likely to die of cancer. If you choose to eat a healthy diet and exercise, you're a lot less likely to die of heart disease, and so on. And so as more is learned about these, you sort of get to choose how you die, to some extent, obviously. And so taken to the extreme, if you want to, you could choose one of those diseases. Yeah, I'll die of uh, kidney disease, so like... I won't do the other things, but whatever kills my kidney, sure, let's do it. And so taken to the extreme, I feel like the last one is euthanasia. Like, yeah, it could also be a car crash. It could be, yeah. But yeah, so that's sort of why I arrived at that, is that people who now have the resources get to choose how they die. And so one of those choices could be assisted suicide. And I think that would be a good one. I've actually had a conversation with a high school friend about this at one point, where we were discussing how we intended to die and whether or not we wanted to deal with the, the pain and other things that we had seen our own grandparents go through um, and the whole medical system process, which I, I would say I'm at least a little anti-Western medicine, and so I, that just does not seem attractive to me. And at the time, uh, my plan was I was going to buy a skydiving company once I was older. And then at some point, I was just going to take the plane and be like, okay, you keep going. I'm going to jump <laughs> and just uh, and just go for it, which is just regular suicide. It's a little In, in a way. In yeah. a way, yeah. yeah. It's a little tricky. I've tricked someone into helping me with my suicide. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm definitely on board with, with, with what you're laying out. And I, I really like the conception of 
that this is already how it's happening. In a way. That's fascinating. For, for some people who have the resources to do it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We've talked about the current reported causes of death as reported by the Centers for Disease Control. We've discussed how COVID fits into that. And we've discussed an ideal or some ideals related to that. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Another thing that I looked at was the CDC data goes back as far as 2001. Um, and so you can bring up any year or you can bring up an amalgamation of the years, which I don't find super helpful, but you can do it. And um, some things that I thought were interesting in terms of, you know, we discussed a little bit about what do we want this chart to look like if we were going to paint it, how would we paint it? So I looked into the data related to unintentional injury for those years, 2001, 2010, 2019, and specifically poisoning and the car accidents, um, because I thought that was... Those are the top two. Yeah. And those are things that I think are preventable. But I was curious about whether or not those things went up because I think they could be good indicators of whether or not your society is successful. Poisoning and motor vehicle accidents. Uh, overdoses. But yeah, poisoning. Yeah, as, as, as we were looking at it. So one thing that was encouraging was motor vehicle accidents went down. And this is for all ages, from um, 42,000 to 34,000. So by absolute numbers, it went down. By absolute Which means that even by percentage, it went down even more. Yeah. And then in 2010, it went down to 34,000. And then by 2019, it jumped back up to 38,000, which is a little disappointing. I just think that that number has a lot of potential to be smaller. And then for poisoning, the number of poisoning cases in 2001 uh, was 14,000. And the number in 2010 was 33,000. The number in 2019 was 66,000. Doubles and, every 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I guess I, I, I had a vague sense for that because the opioid epidemic, but it was still alarming to read that, that there are larger numbers of people in our society that are deciding that they don't want to partake and they would rather... Poison themselves yeah. until they die right. effectively. Right. Wow. Then, okay. That's not good. Like, <laughs> I don't think that shows that like we've been successful related to that. To some degree, I'm trying to find problems with the information like what can i figure out that could be better and so i'm not necessarily appreciating the good things of like wow look we've driven down these numbers but um and another thing that i haven't tried to do but i do think would be interesting is to compare this to different countries i agree it would be interesting yeah and just say like okay what's a country where i think there's a higher quality of life from a very subjective standpoint. And then what do these numbers look like? Do I think that reflects a better quality of life? Um, and death. Quality and, and, of life and, and yeah, death. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, yeah, I think those are those are so related that... But it goes into the last thing we talked about of what's the best way to die. Yeah. Quality of death. <laughs> sure, sure. But yeah. I, see, I, know, I understand yeah. what you mean. And yeah, I do think that's interesting to see what it's like in other countries. But yeah, those are my only other thoughts. Great. So I guess I guess that's it. Am I saying anything else now? Yes, in the outro. You'll see. All right. You just listened to the recorded internet broadcast, a.k.a. The Rib. And please keep in mind, don't overdose on the way home. <laughs> and we're glad you came to listen to us. And if you have fan mail or comments or questions, you can reach us at recordedinternetbroadcast at gmail.com. We also have a website at recordinternetbroadcast.com where you can find all of these episodes, as well as all the references that we referenced during the episode. That was so good. <laughs> I love it. We're glad that you listened. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs>